morning, everyone. It is good to be with you. And I'm going to say, I'm not, I'm not really a guest speaker anymore, right? Like, I'm not a guest. I'm a family member. I'm just not here every week. So um, it is good to be with you all. For those of you who I haven't had the chance of meeting, I'm Laurel, and I, this is my second year preaching with the Aspen Grove Network. So two out of four Sundays, I am in one of the three Aspen Grove Network churches. So I rotate and preach in these churches and grow in relationship. This year I am now on as kind of a part-time staff member, which means outside of preaching on Sundays, I'll be around for other events as well. Hope to interact with your kids and um, be a part of stuff with Brody and with women's ministry and other things as well. So it is my heart to be around much more, and I'm excited. I brought my husband with me this time, the first time he's been here at the Highlands. So y'all say hi, Josh. Josh is here with us. Uh, But today we get to continue on our journey that we've been on in this Everyday Matters. And so would you pray with me as we begin this morning? Lord, thank you for your goodness and your mercy. Your love endures forever. And we are grateful that our lives matter to you. No matter how broken we may feel sometimes, no matter how overwhelmed No matter how saturated we often feel with the cares of this life, we thank you that you care for us and that you call us to cast our cares upon you because you do care so deeply for us, not just that we would survive this world, but that we would thrive, that we would grow, and that we would ultimately let the growth that we experience go out with us into the world. And that our lights would so shine before people that they would see your good works, what you've done to transform us, and they would glorify you. And as a result, have a conversation with us as your ambassadors to say, what must I do, too, to have the joy and the peace that you have? So we start this morning, Lord, recognizing that there may be someone in this room who doesn't quite know that their life has the kind of significance that you say it does. And so we pray for someone who's in this room right now who is just maybe struggling with significance or overwhelm or doubt or exhaustion. Lord, would you meet them by your Holy Spirit? Would you just allow someone next to them just to lock eyes and say, hey, you matter? It is essential that we speak life to one another in a world that is so full of darkness and death. So be with us this morning. Hide us, hide me behind your cross. And may this word be for someone who needs it to desperately transform their lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this morning, I want to continue in our series, Every Day Matters, and I want to preach from this topic, Make Life Count. During the early morning hours of January 15th, just last Sunday, before the sun had made its way over the horizon, my father-in-law, Rodney Roddy Bunker, took his last breath here on earth. Brought to the hospital on the previous Sunday due to confusion, and tremors, and and an unceasing headache, a CT scan revealed the culprit, which was a massive temporal lobe bleed. Surgery to remove the bleed was not all that long, though the following days after surgery for us would be. Intubation and sedation followed by bedside vigils in the hopes that the reduction of the sedation medication and the medical prompts would somehow awaken him, but they didn't. For this and other reasons that I won't go into here, my mother-in-law, surrounded by her children, grandchildren, and the extraordinary team of United Hospital in St. Paul, began to unplug dad from all of the monitors, removing his breathing tube and every other kind of apparatus that monitored his signs of life. 
In the following hours of silence, as dad could not communicate with us, we asked that our gentle savior communicate with dad and somehow solidified what had been most of a distant religious relationship with Christ since leaving the Catholic church some 50 years ago. If being a good guy was the only requirement that one would need to get into heaven, my father-in-law would have been right in the front. He marched with Dr. King in the 1960s. He worked with people in Chicago. He adopted four African-American kids, he himself being from Wisconsin and my mother-in-law being from Rhinelander. He gave up his PhD work and moved here to Minneapolis from Wisconsin because of the racism that his kids experienced. And so he came here and for the rest of his life, he drove the city bus raising his kids in South Minneapolis. He was a mediator and he was a moderator. He loved his children and his grandchildren. He was kind of like Santa, if you want to see a picture of him. He's kind of like Santa and, and so much more. But dad didn't have what we knew to be the purposefulness and joy of living his life for Christ. And so Joshua and I prayed because like many of you, perhaps, most of our family are not believers. My mother-in-law is not a believer. There are some who are in various places and spaces, but many of them are still trying to figure out what life is all about. How do they make every day count? So like the thief on the cross who in his final moments had the assurance that he would be with Christ in paradise, so we too believed that in the days and the hours and the moments and the seconds as dad hovered between life on earth and the reality of a long eternity, that he would know of the kindness of God and place his feeble hand in the hand of the one who knows all things. I begin this message with this story not to solicit empathy or sympathy from you, though your prayers and your kind thoughts are always appreciated. Anyone who's gone through grieving, losing somebody of significance knows that the grief journey is long and we're just beginning. But more because our focus on everyday matters, which is focusing on the purposes and the intentions of our lives, has intersected in new and fresh ways with my family over the last two weeks. Like many of you, there are significant moments in life that seem to shine a spotlight on matters of the heart and mind. And the only way to make sense of some of the things that we experience is either avoidance or reflection. When a monumental transformation happens in any of our lives, be it a marriage, a divorce, unexplained sickness or crisis, estrangement, starting, shifting, or ending a career, going back to school, planting a church, a birth, or a death, we're often drawn to reflect intrinsically as to our motivation, our intentions, and our actions. To really ask ourselves, have I really lived my life in a way that is purposeful and meaningful? Or am I just treading water? Todd Monger and Pastor Aaron have done a masterful job in helping us start to move this train along as we talk about this reality of everyday matters. We've been breaking down our series themes in ways that have caused us to examine how we can be more faithful to God and as a result to others around us, as well as how we can become more productive in our everyday lives. 
I've appreciated how through the messages, and I listened to both Todd's and Aaron's from last week, that they've helped us to begin to refine our understanding about what I will call the what and the why of our lives. The what is, what are we doing? What is our core actions? What are our core behaviors? What are our core thoughts? What are our core intentions that drive our daily living? And then the second question is why? Why are we doing it? For what reason are we driven to achieve these things? Last week, Aaron talked about sometimes how in our culture, we're driven by data points, by numbers, by the amount that we make or the size of things that we have or the number of people that we can pack into a church. And sometimes sheer numbers can make us feel so overwhelmed. As a youth and young adult pastor for so many years, I remember just being excited when kids would come into the room. And so as I was watching that video, my heart was just excited. My body hurt. But I felt dizzy, especially with that young lady who was just spinning. I was like, oh, Jesus, right? Uh, but I remember the joy of just having kids in the room. Just the joy of parents coming to us and having a conversation saying, my kid had so much fun. Or thank you for helping my child to understand Jesus. But inevitably, for someone, even after we had made huge strides in the life of kids, it wasn't the strides in the lives of kids that mattered. It was how many showed up. I have learned in my life of ministry that success is not about how many show up, but who shows up hungry? Who is showing up desperate for the things of God? Who is showing up saying, Lord, I'm not afraid or ashamed to say I need you. I may be a deacon, I may be a pastor, I may, may be an elder, but today, Lord, I am weak. And in my weakness, you are made strong. You see, as we continue to watch the world shift and ebb and flow, and as things get darker, we've got to be so anchored in our why more than our what, that no matter what happens, it's not about the numbers. It's not about who's going to walk with you. It's about the rugged determination that you will have to keep putting one foot in front of the other. Because how many of you have members in your family like us where they're still way back there at the starting line and we're at mile 17? And we're turning around with tears in our eyes saying, come on, the hour is late, let's go. And they're saying, we're not coming with you. And our hearts are desperate and they're pounding in our chest saying, please, just listen to us about Jesus. But many of them will point to the things that have happened in the culture to say, that's your Jesus. Or if that's your Jesus, I don't want it. And how many of you know more than ever, it can't just be our what. It can't just be bigger buildings and more people. It's got to be the why, the intrinsic value of being children of God that draw us to other people and other people to us. The magnitude of our lives is not about how we can perform but about how we can stand in front of people and say without shame, I was lost. I was a church performer. I was good at having one foot in the world and one foot in the church until I had a Damascus Road experience that shifted the trajectory of my life. See, what people are looking for who are really hungry is not desperation. It's not packed houses. It's one person who is willing to be vulnerable. I've said to some of you before, we have made Brene Brown a multi-millionaire. 
All of us probably have her books on our, our shelves. I know I do. And she's talked about vulnerability, but all of us who have read it are looking for somebody else to go first. I, I, I like vulnerability, but you go first because I want to see if you're going to get eaten alive. And it's worse, I think, for men. Brother, show your heart. Uh, <laughs> let's watch the game first, then we'll have a conversation. Like we, 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 Right? We need to say, look, we need to be like David, brothers, that he was a warrior and a worshiper. He had no shame in his game. He could do what he needed to do. He could swing that sword and he could get his praise on. We need to be the kind of people that realize no matter our denomination, no matter where we've been, our lives have to matter. And the only place that we can, they can really matter most is in the presence of God, the one who knows us, the one who calls us, the one who keeps us in his care. So our what and our why have got to be balanced. What are our chief goals and aspirations and why? Are God's purposes for us in forming our decisions, thus removing some of the manic, numbers-driven, goal-oriented ways that society encourage us to measure success? How do we know when our goals are God goals and not just my goals? Or our biblical guidelines to living, are they competing with the things that I want to achieve? How do we even stay on track? How do we remain committed and proactive and productive? And ultimately, how do we keep asking ourselves what really matters in the midst of all of it? Psalm 90 is one of my favorite psalms. In fact, the book of Psalms is one of my favorite. And maybe some of you are regularly in Psalms like I am, Psalms and Proverbs. Why? Because those are wisdom. Those are places of wisdom. In fact, there are five primary sections of Psalms and one of the sections describes a portion of Psalms as wisdom Psalms. That means that they speak to our hearts and give us knowledge about how to live. Well, Psalm 90, let me warn you, is a little bit straight to the point. It's written by Moses, but it's so directive. And Psalm 90 says, Lord, you've been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. That means from the beginning to the end, you are God. You are the Alpha and the Omega. Everything starts and ends with you. And then he says, you say to us, return to dust, you mortals. But it says a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by or a watch in the night. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by the evening it is gone. I can say amen to that. But my favorite verse in Psalm 90 is verse 12. Teach us, Lord, to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. What does that mean to number our days? It doesn't mean that we barter with God to say, could I live to be like mm, 90, maybe 91? Can I just go to sleep and then just not wake up? Like, can we have a conversation? That's not the numbering of our days. What he's saying here is, Lord, teach us to make every moment of our lives count. Help us to not get caught up in the malaise of the world, even the darkness of the world. Help us to know that every moment is not promised and every moment given is a blessing. 
Any of you ever gone through something and you just say, God, I thank you for being alive in the land of the living? Anyone been in an accident or had a major surgery or seen something, someone come out of it, and you're like, God, thank you that I'm just alive. Because we all go through things that are perspective shifting. But let's not let the things that shift our perspective be the only things that shift our perspective. In other words, what else should shift our perspective? Intimacy in the presence of the one who made you and knows you. So Lord, teach us to have a right perspective that we may gain a heart of wisdom. The psalm cautions us to remember that life's brief. So let us live with intention and purpose. So how do we do that? Well, let's admit something first, and I'll start with me. In my life, there is no lack of busyness. Can somebody say amen? There is no lack of busyness in my life, and some of us would probably say I am too committed. How many of you would probably say, yep, I probably got some stuff in my life. I got too much going on. And why do we do that? Because as believers and just as people, we see gaps and we want to fill them. Being busy isn't bad. But how many of you know some of us fill our lives with busyness because we don't want to address brokenness? Some of us stay busy so we don't have to have that conversation with God. So we don't have to go to that sibling that we've been estranged from for five or six or seven or ten years and say, can we get it together? So we don't have to have the other hard conversations. Busyness, if it is productive, is good. But busyness that keeps us from addressing our pain, that is simply a way of shielding ourselves from introspection, will kill us. It'll rob us of our joy and our peace. So our issue of people is not a lack of busyness. Oftentimes, for many of us, it is a lack of purposefulness. And otherwise, we're busy, but a lot of times when we look up, we're like, why? All I feel is that I'm exhausted, and I'm depleted, and I'm frustrated. Is that any way for me to live a life? Most of us have more on our plates than we need. We're doing more than ever before with less satisfaction and less connection. We're doing ourselves out of relationship with God and with others. Post-pandemic, much of the culture became more and more insular. Though many of us long for relationship, get this, many of us have forgotten how to be in relationships. Anyone notice that? Like we're like, okay, I didn't really like COVID, but I really like being by myself. <laughs> I really like the fact that no one saw me eat that whole bag of Doritos. That felt good to my soul, right? <laughs> Yes, I ate that whole pint of ice cream, and no, I didn't have to share it because you couldn't come over, right? Like, we, we kind of liked what it gave us, but many of us didn't realize what it robbed us of. My husband and I have talked about the fact for the last two years, he works for the Minnesota Department of Health. Do you know he's got people on his team he doesn't even know what they look like? Because they refuse to turn on their screens, he has a black screen with a name, but they won't even come on. In other words, we long for intimacy because we're made by the God who made us intimate, but we have learned somewhere that we're not enough. In this insular time called COVID and post-COVID, we've been so alone with our thoughts and so alone with our bodies that the enemy has come in and sat down with us and reminded us of all the things that we're not and all the things that we missed. And as a result... 
The world that we are in and the country that we're in is dealing with a public health crisis of loneliness. The New York Times, the Atlantic have all written articles on the epidemic of loneliness. Columbia's School of Public Health has just talking about loneliness or this subjective feeling of inadequate, meaningful connection to others. It is so prevalent in the United States that 61% of Americans over the age of 18 would identify themselves as lonely. A dramatic increase since the 1970s when that number identified as loneliness was as low as 11%. While most loneliness research focuses on older adults, because a lot of times senior citizens are isolated and unable to come out and to be with other people, in comparison to the roughly 50% of adults over the age of 80 who experience loneliness, the majority of people who now identify as lonely are those who are age 18 and under. To the point now where people are dying, listen to this, from deaths of despair meaning there is death due to alcohol, drugs, and suicide because they do not know where they can go and where they can, where, who they can trust. Can we say, in comes the church of Jesus Christ? Can we say, even if you are an incredibly introverted person, you can be a high-functioning introvert. Somebody say amen. <laughs> Where's all the introverts at? You can be high-functioning introverts. You can talk with somebody beyond like this. You are not Kilroy. My husband is a high-functioning introvert. Can you understand why we need to balance each other? We've been married 27 years. He just stands there and looks from a distance while I just flutter off and do things and then come back. I am the person in the family that he can't stand because I'm talking to every person after church. And he was ready to go 45 minutes ago. Who's got that? Who's, who are the people ready to go right after service? Where's the talkers in the room? <laughs> well, so the reality is, you high-functioning introverts, you are more important to the kingdom than you realize. Because knowing what intimacy and quiet looks like, you have an understanding of what it also means to be insular and what it means to reach out to people that don't quite know. Everybody doesn't want a Laurel Bunker to rush up on them. <laughs> I'll talk to people in Cub, Walmart. I'll talk to Walmart people, you know, whatever they got going on. I'll just shield my eyes and be like, hey, baby, Jesus loves you. Let's go, over, let's put a little extra something on, right? Whatever that is. I'll talk to Walmart people. I'll go anywhere and talk to anyone. Not because I want to be a pain, but I am a very good judge of character and I can read people well. And I think what we've become accustomed to in this culture is that people will just look down and look away. My best friend is from North Carolina. And she said, why do people here in Minnesota not look up and say hello? Is that a Minnesota thing? I'm like, well, I'm Minnesotan, so <laughs> I don't know. But she said, man, in the South, everybody looks up and says, hey, howdy, how you doing? doesn't mean they're stopping to have a conversation. They're just acknowledging your existence. Dear brothers and sisters, people need their existence acknowledged. Anybody in here 
know how it feels when you have your existence acknowledged? Anyone know the joy of when somebody tells you on your job, man, you did an excellent job? When you get a card just for being yourself, the reality is whatever your ethnic background, whatever your personality type is, whether you're introverted or extroverted, if you are a child of God, the world is in need of you to simply look up and lock eyes with somebody and to let them know that they matter because there are those who are dying of loneliness because they don't. And herein should be the church in all of our diversity, in all of our glory, in all of our difference. We should be like those that God says, are you all ready to roll? And we run out into that world and we lock eyes and we give cards and we high five and we sit with people in their pain. Even if it's uncomfortable for us, I can guarantee you that it will shift the trajectory of somebody's life. So we, the church, have got to be the healthiest, most thriving group of people in the world. Our doors open, our hearts open, reflective of the love of the one who gave his life for us so that we wouldn't die of despair. So my question for you today, dear brothers and sisters, is how are you living? How are you living? Let's take a look at this word every day. And then we're going to jump into the last portion of scripture. There are two ways to look at this word every day. There is the one word every day. It's an adjective meaning ordinary, typical, occurring on a daily basis. I wear these jeans every day. I eat oatmeal for breakfast every day. It's kind of a, eh. it happens every day. As opposed to every day, every single measurement of every moment, that we're holding it in our hands like a rare gift to say, God, in this moment, how will I live? How will I serve? How will I bless? How will I lock eyes? How will I come alongside? Lord, let me make every single day count. So sometimes people put that word single in there to help us to realize that it's not just smushing our lives together in some ordinary, typical survival mode. It is about recognizing that every single day that we are given to breathe without pain, to drink clean water, to sit with people we love, to have decent employment is a gift from God Almighty for every good and perfect thing comes from him. And nothing that we have is without him or can exist without him. So where do we go as we think about how we're living? Ephesians 5, 8 through 20, let's go through it quickly. It says, for you were once darkness. Not in darkness, you were darkness. That means your soul, your mind, everything about you was caught up in darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. You want purpose? Live as children of light, capital L, meaning live as children of Jesus Christ, the one who gave his life for you. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. There's another thing. God, what do you want from this day? What pleases you? How should my conversations go? God, be with me before I go into this meeting. What pleases the Lord? 
have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. In other words, do not straddle the fence. You cannot have one foot in the world and one foot in the church and think that you're going to find meaning and purpose. You will not. You will only be kidding yourself. I've tried it. I've tried it. But the reality says it is shameful to even mention the disobedient, what they do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. And everything that is illuminated becomes a light. Do you realize that? Do you hear? Do you see the power of that? Everything exposed by the light becomes visible. Right? And everything that is illuminated, that's us, becomes a light. When you say yes to Jesus Christ, your life ought to be illuminated. There ought to be a glow. There ought to be something that comes from you that in the midst of the darkness, when people cannot see, there's a faint glow in the distance and it's you. It's your heart. It's your passion. And they know they can come to you and find safety. Because the glow that is on the inside of you is not about what you have or your productivity or how big your house is or your trailer. It's about the God who is big on the inside of you. It's about the Holy Spirit's glow on the inside of you. Verse 15 says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. What does it say? Making the most of every opportunity because the days, the season is evil. Meaning that what's happening on the outside of us and around us is a distraction. And while it is evil and dark, the light of Christ will never be able to be extinguished. Darker world, brighter Christ. And how was that world brighter? It's in us who have been illuminated. It is in us that go out there in all of our diversity and we go out into the world. It says, therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. And said, be filled with the Spirit. Here it is. And once we're filled, what do we do? Speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to the Father for everything. Dear brothers and sisters, if we're going to make every day count, not every day ordinary shrugging our shoulders, but every single moment, every breath, every day that we're on our jobs with our children, walking in the kingdom of God. We've got to be those illuminated people with a testimony of what it was like to be in darkness, but now being lit up by Jesus. And your light might be different than mine, but let me tell you your light is necessary. It is essential because there's too many people who just don't know that there's a safe harbor and a safe light. Galatians 2, 19 through 21 says from Paul, for through the law, my works of righteousness, I died to the law so I might live for God. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in this body I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. When I read that, I think about my father-in-law. Paul was a Jew's Jew, circumcised on the eighth day, had all of those things, but he said, it's rubbish, it's nothing. 
I am now crucified with Christ, meaning everything that I thought made me someone, including someone who persecuted the church and killed God's people for fun. I thought I was zealous and right. How many of you know if we live in the flesh, there are times when our views and our eyes will cause us to see things wrongly. Paul is saying, I'm now crucified with Christ. Everything that I thought made me someone made me nothing. And it's no longer I who live. It's Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith, not perfectionism, not money, not data points. I live by faith. And the one who died for me first, so I didn't have to fear death. Jesus said in John 6, 38, I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall not lose any of those given to me, but I will raise them up on the last day. Dear brothers and sisters, as the band comes out and we prepare to worship, I want you to sit in this moment and in this worship, and I want you to say to the Lord, Father, what is my what and what is my why? How am I living? Am I living for you? Am I illuminated and is my life lit up to the point where people can see something in me that is not an artificial light from the world, but is one that cannot be manufactured, that the only way that that light can be received is through saying yes to Jesus? Dear friends, we have prayed and continue to pray, not only that my father-in-law is in the presence of the king, but that other family members will also one day be in the presence of the king. We can't let what we don't know cause us to fear, and it cannot be greater than what we do know, and that is salvation belongs to our king. Salvation belongs to our Lord and our Christ. And that if God could save that thief on the cross, he could save Roddy, he could save your estranged family member, we're all walking miracles because without him, we wouldn't be sitting here either. So brothers and sisters, you who are loved and chosen and called by the Lord, make every single day count. Make it matter, not just for what matters to you, but for the one who gave his life so that you could live and have a life of significance. Amen?